Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. Start calling us right now if you want to put a question to Chris. If you're in Cape Town, any question about the world of science, you can put to him by dialing 021 And if you are in the Joburg area, give us a call right now. 011-883-0702. We're also more than happy to take your questions on the SMS line. So SMS us a question. 31702 or SMS your science question to 31567 and of course you can tweet it at Eusebius at Radio 702 or at Cape Talk. Good morning Chris. Good morning. I'm in such a weird mood. I've got an earworm from this week's science story. I'm trying to get it out of my head. I don't know if you knew that nursery rhyme as a kid. Three blind mice. Yes, I, I do know that one. And, uh, and in fact, when I, wrote, when I wrote this up, it was actually foremost in my mind as well. It's a very interesting story, this, because it's actually... It's a fascinating story. Go yes, scientists in Oxford University have managed to restore vision to blind mice using gene therapy. Now, this is a specific form of blindness, which is called retinitis pigmentosa. In this condition, which uh, tends to ac- accumulate or crop up more commonly as people age you lose the rod and cone photoreceptors. These are the cells in the retina, which is the light-sensitive sheet at the back of the eye. And these rods and cones convert light into neurological signals that the brain can decode and tell us what we're seeing. If you lose those cells, you go blind. What Samantha De Silva and her colleagues at Oxford, and they've written this paper up in the journal PNAS this week, what they've done is to take a harmless virus called an adeno-associated virus. It can't harm a person. They have replaced all of the genes in the virus with the gene encoding something called melanopsin, which is a human light-sensitive molecule. It's naturally found in the eye, but in a very discrete, specific place in the eye. And by putting it into this virus and then injecting the virus beneath the retina in a group of mice with the mouse equivalent of retinitis pigmentosa, they find that the virus goes into other surviving cells in the back of the eye and converts them into light-sensing cells by making this gene turn on and make melanopsin. So these other cells begin to pick up light signals and because the rest of the retina is healthy, the signals can be transmitted to the brain and the animals regain their vision. And at 15 months after treatment, the animals show what we call pupiloconstriction. So when you shine a light in their eye, the pupil gets smaller, which is the normal reflex, showing that the neurological pathways and connections between the eye and the brain are working. They can also show there are changes in blood flow to the brain when the animals see light, showing that the signals are being interpreted. The retinas in these animals that have been treated behave electrically much more normally compared to animals that haven't been treated. Um, And so... 
the evidence is that uh, this looks very encouraging for then taking this the next stage on, which is to do a human clinical trial, which will take a few years to, to get to things ready. But it, it could be possible to restore at least some semblance of vision in people who've been victim to this sort of blinding disorder in the past. Hmm, absolutely fascinating. Norman in Rainbow, good morning to you. Hi there. Um, talking of mice, I've got a question about my cat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice segue there, Norman. What is your question about your cat? Oh, ever since it's been a kitten, um, it's been able to open doors by pulling down on the handle in order to get out of a room. How did it work it out? Did it watch me and say, ah, oh, that's how you do it? Or... Uh, was it like a trial and error thing? Hi, Norman. I think it's probably a bit of both, actually. Um, many animals, yeah. including cats, are very visual. They have excellent eyesight, and they learn by watching each other. Even fish learn by watching each other. There was a wonderful experiment done by a chap at the University of Durham a few years ago where he taught very small fish in a tank um, by showing one group of fish how other groups of fish get fed and the ones that were able to watch knew intuitively afterwards how they should get fed too. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility that your cat has worked out that uh, when you touch the handle, the door opens. The cat gets rewarded when it jumps on the handle and the door opens because it happens to get out and go somewhere else or get fed or get food or go where it wants to go. So it gets a reward and, and remembers it. Sometimes, if there's nothing else on a door to get hold of because it's a smooth surface, the cat may jump up and hit the handle on its way up the door. The door opens and the cat thinks, aha, I wanted to go that way. So there's a combination of both visual learning and possibly also trial and error. I would say both are equally possible. Hmm. Uh, is it Peter? Hi, it's Peter. P-I-E-T-A, Peter. Ah, Peter. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi, Chris. Hi. So what I'd like to know is that you know on, on television, uh, on the remote and on uh, with our televisions, we have a pause button. Why can that not be done on the radio? Right. Or can it be done? Well, um, the, the way in which these things work, if you have um, a, sh a sort of stream of information coming into the television then if the television has a reasonable memory inside it, which modern smart TVs do, then when you press the pause button, all the TV is doing is buffering up the incoming information and effectively storing it until you unpause it, and then it just starts dipping into its buffer and playing you the programme out again. You could potentially do this on a radio. In fact, it would be a lot easier on the radio because the amount of data being transferred to do a big picture on a television is orders of magnitude greater than the amount of data that you need for just linear radio. Of course, the quality of radio is far higher than television, isn't it? Course, but um, it goes without saying. So the answer is you could do it, but I think people have decided that radio is very much in the here and now, so it's not worth the, mm. the technology. Whereas on telly, it, it, it has found a market, and smart TVs, because they exist already for doing all the other functions, this is just literally a little bit of computer code that's added to the way the telly works, so it's very easy to, to implement that. So I suspect that's why they've done it. Go to Cape Town. Gino, good morning. What's your question? Hi, Sirius. Hi, Chris. Hi, I Gino. Hi, hi. What sort of the best ways um, when you have high metabolism to build lean muscle mass and what programs sort of I'll listen on the radio. <laughs> okay, so what does he mean by lean muscle mass? Well, in your body, obviously your muscles help you to move. 
And your muscles are metabolically very active. The heat we produce, the movements we make, the energy we burn off during the day is largely attributable to what our muscles do. And muscles are a dynamic thing. They're made of cells and they have inside those cells contractile proteins, actin and myosin. They're generating the forces that muscles are capable of exerting. Muscles are very sensitive to how active they are. So the more you use a muscle, the more it grows. And this is called hypertrophy. And it's a natural human response. And it's when someone goes to the gym and works out a lot, it's why they develop big muscles, because the muscles get damaged a little bit when you're using them. And that damage signal feeds back on the muscle, and it makes it grow. Now, different sorts of of exercise will stimulate different muscles in different ways, and therefore make different muscle groups grow. So in order to grow certain types of muscle, you need to optimise your exercise regime. Now, if you want to do marathons, then you need muscles that are capable of working for a very long time at a relatively low rate with a good blood flow and a high oxygen delivery. And those are called slow twitch or red muscles. So in order to train those muscles, the more you use them, the more you get of them. So you would do a lot of that sort of training coupled with a high protein diet to make sure that you've got enough protein coming in to build the muscle protein which are what those actin and myosin elements are that make the force if you want to do powerlifting or you want to be usain bolt then a lot of that activity is down to very fast twitch non-oxidative muscle which works anaerobically and what that means is that the muscles are very good at producing enormous bursts of of energy by metabolising sugars and things very, very quickly, but then they build up an oxygen debt, which you have to pay back later. But again, they will build in response to whatever sort of training that you do. So the answer is, decide what sort of uh, exercise you want to become good at and do lots of it because your body's very good at developing the right sorts of muscles which are tailor-made to meeting the demands that you're placing on your body. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. Mvubo, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. No, look, I, I, I don't know how to put this, but let me just ask the question. There is this belief that uh, a lightning can be manipulated by those, you know, uh, who want to harm others, you see. Uh, I just want to know whether is it fact or fiction. So can lightning be manipulated for nefarious means? The answer is, well, what is lightning, first of all? Well, lightning is an electrical discharge, which is built up in clouds. It occurs because tiny ice particles, these are called hydrometeors, are buffeted about on air currents inside big clouds. And the big ones and the small ones separate, taking different charges with them. And you end up with big ones at the bottom of the cloud with a negative charge and smaller ones at the top of the cloud with a positive charge. We don't exactly understand why. But that means that there is charge separation in the cloud and a potential difference. But there's also a potential difference between the bottom of the cloud and the Earth. And if that potential difference, otherwise known as a voltage, becomes sufficiently large, then the insulating properties of the air can be broken down, the air ionises, and the current flows down from the cloud, bringing the charges to the Earth to balance things out. And you get this bolt of lightning, which heats the air up to about six times the temperature of the surface of the sun, and it causes the air to expand very quickly. You get a big, big flash and a bang, and a lot of the energy is discharged. Now, in order to make that happen or manipulate that, there's a number of ways you could do that. You could put things into the atmosphere to make big storm clouds happen. We already know how to do that. And in fact, the evidence is that some governments have done this 
one government uh, manipulated the weather, we think, around the time of the Olympic Games. The idea being that then the weather would always be good and the sun would shine on their Olympics. That, that's certainly known that you can do that. And people put tiny particles into the atmosphere to act as nucleation centres. So lots of rainwater forms around these nucleating sites. And this empties the clouds of all of their water and takes the energy out of the clouds. So storms are less likely elsewhere. You can do that. It's not impossible you could drive some thunderstorms that way too. But in terms of encouraging thunderstorms to deploy their lightning at a certain given target, well, that's really difficult because lightning goes for a good conductor, which is a high point. And without building a, a lightning-attracting device, it's very difficult, therefore, to guarantee the lightning's going to go where you want it to go and the wind's going to blow the storm where you want it to go. So I think the, the bottom line is that people are not using lightning as a weapon, but you can certainly manipulate the weather. Thank you, Chris. Ronnie, welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning, uh, Mr. Scientist. I, I, I understand that sorbon nitrate can be used to be released into the clouds to, to, to bring on rain. But uh, looking at Google, it says that it can be done, yes, but it can cause floods. What is your take on that? Yes, it, often not silver nitrate so much as... Uh, iodide salts, so silver iodide or something, and the Russians have, have used iodide salts in the past to do this. Um, and this is probably a bit better for the environment, if I'm honest, but, but not going to make a huge amount of difference. The idea, the concept, as I was just saying, is that you blast tiny particles up into the atmosphere, and these act as nucleation sites. When you've got water vapour, so these are water molecules which are freely bobbing around on air currents, it's very difficult for them to get together with other water molecules and begin to form droplets. But you can make that process happen far more quickly and more efficiently if you give them a surface to cling onto. And that's how this works. So you fire this fine dusting of particles at the right height where the water is into the air in the sky. The water vapour will then begin to coalesce into big, bigger and bigger droplets on those surfaces until you've got something sufficiently large to be a raindrop, which under its own weight will then fall out of the sky because it will oppose the upcurrents of air which are pushing upwards, holding the cloud where it is. So it's, it's perfectly possible to do this, and this is the, the very technique that, that has been used in certain places to manipulate the weather. If you get it wrong, yes, there's certainly the possibility that you could trigger devastating rain release in one place, and if you overwhelm the ability of the local environment to deal with the water so the, water, the ground becomes saturated, rivers become overloaded, then you're going to get flooding. And that's certainly a possibility if you get this wrong. Okay, Mukondi, good morning to you. What is your question? Uh, Chris, uh, Eusebius, I'm sure you both are fine. Um, my question to the naked scientist is, um, does he know of, um, as green technologies are now booming, and especially green um, generators, you're getting solar farms and government investing all that. But does it know of a generator that perhaps uses like a hybrid generator that uses magnetism, um, wind power and solar power altogether into one generator? Thank you. Okay, well, there's a range of different techniques that people are exploring because we're using far more energy than we can possibly gather by renewable means at the moment. And the human population is rising, human affluence on average around the world is rising, 
and therefore the number of people consuming energy is rising and that means the world's energy burden is rising most of it in the form of us using electricity or burning fossil fuels for heat so obviously there's a big motivation in order not to destroy the planet to come up with cleaner forms of energy Um, The way in which we're currently doing this is to look at the things that we're uh, not very good at the moment at exploiting, but which do offer very large amounts of potentially free and renewable energy if we know how to tap into them. Heat in the ground is one, wind is another, um, tidal energy, rivers and hydro is another example. So all these things are being explored and they all come back to physics that was discovered by Michael Faraday a couple of hundred years ago in London which is electromagnetic effects because in order to make electricity electricity are is electrons moving along a wire and they as they do so they generate a magnetic field if you have a moving uh, electric charge you get a magnetic field but that means if you move a magnetic field you get moving electrons and so the way in which we generate electricity is we we make a magnetic field change and we move a conductor through it and that induces an electrical current so that, that's the fundamental principle and pretty much all of our generating processes are all going to be based on that and then we just send the electricity off places so what we need to do is become better at doing this efficiently doing this in a way that uh, enables us to get the maximum amount of energy when there is the energy available so solar cells that are more than 20 30 percent efficient that's what that's got to be a target Um, ways of storing energy is a big challenge because at the moment we've got loads and loads of energy that we we can't actually store because the the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow when people want the electricity so people are talking about better ways to store energy including locally for instance everyone has an electric car they plug their electric car into the grid and then the electric car battery soaks up some of the extra power from the grid when there's a surplus but then you can equally pull some of the energy out of everyone's car battery when it's parked of course when there's a brief surge and everyone's got their kettle on or their geezer on to go and have a shower you take some of the energy back into the grid to make up for those shortfalls so we're thinking about how to use and deploy our energy in a smarter way as well as getting better at the technology of generating electricity in the first place okay chris we're going to leave it there thanks so much for your insights we'll do it do it again next week all right thanks everyone take care bye-bye